Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux. Hope you're doing well. We are here with Owen Benjamin. Now, I, just before we start, I just wanted to say I have a huge weakness for comedians. Uh, I think comedy is one of the great joys and pleasures in life, and Owen is a master of it. You should really check out his stuff. He's the host of Why Didn't They Laugh? Uh, that's a podcast, and he's got a new Feed the Bear special available on Vimeo. The website, which makes sense, of course, if you watch his live streams, is Huge Pianist. Dot com. You can follow him on youtube.com forward slash Owen Benjamin Comedy and twitter.com forward slash Owen Benjamin. Thanks a lot for taking the time today. Oh, it's an honor. Thanks for having me. And I'm in Twitter jail right now, so I won't be back in for six days. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. Let, let me just start with something <laughs> that, you know, when I, now I've got your giant brain uh, on the wire. You were talking about happy songs that are actually sad the other day. And I was yeah. like, no, it can't be. I mean, come on. Come on. So I actually looked up and You Are My Sunshine, which, you know, of course people think is, have you read the lyrics to this thing? It's insane. It's, it's, it, it makes me so much more sad than any actual sad song. Okay. So for people who don't know, right? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. Okay. So my only sunshine, that's not a good sign. Because, you know, if you, th- if you think that your <laughs> happiness is entirely dependent upon somebody else being close by, you're going to like, I don't know, it's just going to be nuts. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. And is that loving from a distance? Is that some guy speaking <laughs> in through the shower machinery? Please don't take my sunshine away. The other night, dear, as I lay <laughs> sleeping, I dreamt I held you in my arms. When I awoke, dear, I was mistaken. So I hung my head and I cried. The last, this is the last one. I'll always love you and make you happy if you will only say the same. But if you leave me to love another, you'll regret it all one day. And it's like, if that is not if that is not a stalker song from a guy in a clown mask, man, I don't even know what is. Yeah, I think you have the same uh, brain structure as me, where, where if you really look into this stuff, you just see how horrifying a lot of it is. <laughs> like, uh, like uh, wherever you go, whatever you do, I'll be right here waiting for you. That's Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, like, every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. It's like, well, this is like the NSA song. This must be this must be played at their their association meetings. Or like Titanic, you know, where it's like uh, uh, every night she dreams of this man, but she got remarried and had children. So every more like every night she dreams of a guy she slept with 40 years before on a cruise and she has a husband. And then I like on stage, I do this whole thing where I go through the whole process of him going to work because he knows that she definitely doesn't have a giant emerald. And then like when she find, he finds out that she does, he's like, but you'll give it to our granddaughter though, Rose, right? You won't throw it in the ocean, you know, because it's just a it's a terrifying story. You know, she couldn't be more selfish. There was space on the floating thing and she just let him die. Well, you no, know, every time they're having sex, she's closing her eyes and thinking she's still fucking the frozen guy. Uh, that's exactly. just the way. Hey, frozen stiff. That's the way it works. And uh, that's that's tragic. That's just tragic. I, I just can't believe that's romance. Like that movie is uh, a disaster. Well, at least it's better than uh, uh, you can beat me half to death as long as you have a helicopter, Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. You know, if the man's rich enough, he'll never be a creep. Uh, or if you have enough abs, you can do just about anything you want to a woman and it's called romance. Oh, it's tragic. Oh, you mean, you mean 50 counts of rape? Oh, my God. <laughs> if that doesn't lift the lid on some of the fetid swamps of female sexuality in the world, I don't know what does. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's just straight up like crazy. See, you can work at being a really good human being, a great provider, a good father to someone's children, a wonderful husband and a great friend. Or you can just do a bunch of abs, make a bunch of money and beat the hell out of women and they'll love you. I don't know. I know, but that, I know, but in real life that never works. That's why this weird propaganda illusion that I don't really know what's, what's, uh, what's pushing it. But in real life, like my wife and I are so close and it's because it's like I have autonomy, but I also like treat her really good. Oh yeah. You know? It's like, just be really good to your wife. Like, they don't want that crazy, especially once they become mothers. It's like, the last thing they want is that Fifty Shades stuff. Like, that's psychotic. Well, it's funny, too, because I think marriage works if you remember that you're always still in competition. If you if you think you have some sort of post office monopoly on your wife, then you're just going to get lazy, like service at the post office or service from the IRS or whatever. So if as long as you remember that you're always in competition, because that is kind of the reality. Anyone can trade up yeah. at any time. So as long as you remember you're always in competition, you stay on your best behavior, you stay on your toes. The moment you socialize your wife, man, it's bad. It's bad. Oh, yeah. You know, you're always trying to impress her. You know, that's what makes uh, women like men is the purpose, you know, and we don't have dragons anymore. So we got to figure some some out and slay them. 
<laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, the purpose thing is funny because I was just thinking the other day, Owen, how we thirst for leisure, like we want leisure. But at the same time, we can only be happy with purpose. And I think that sort of pendulum between I need to rest, I need to relax, I need to recharge. But if you do that too long, it's like a muscle. Like you, you, you strengthen through resistance, you strengthen through challenge, you strengthen through purpose. And we've been kind of sold this life now where you really don't have to have a purpose. Hey, you don't feel like working? Yeah, we'll give you unemployment insurance. We'll give you welfare. We'll give you disability. Uh, or if you don't want to have kids, uh, everyone's going to, oh, you want to just eat too much. Like, we don't have any need for self-discipline, for the subjugation of the ego, for the conformity to uh, objective standards. And we kind of want that in a way. But very few it. people are. Oh no, 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 yeah, we need purpose. All right. I, I yeah, very few people are designed to eat. Like very few men are designed to handle a life of leisure, and very few women are designed to handle a life without children. And I know you've talked a little bit about that, and uh, I think it's one of the reasons why anxiety and depression and 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 all of this neurosis is spreading. A hundred percent, and I think that's where we see the rise of things like ISIS, where. I I don't know if you saw that video I did because it may have been the one with you are my sunshine, but how a valid male instinct crippled by the disaster of socialism and the disaster of not giving men purpose. Like that's a good quality we have that we want to impress women, that we want to build the Eiffel Tower to have someone touch our wiener, you know? And then when, when it's all just the stuff is provided by the sociopathic organism called the state, it's like we're now susceptible to, to have a purpose constructed by a psychopath. You know, it's the same with women. Like women have this incredible desire to be mothers. And it's one reason why their craziness, like the high anxiety, the paranoia, all that stuff is it makes perfect sense when you see them with a one year old where um, and I, I've listened to you talk about stuff like this. And I, I, I'm so glad that you're out there because uh, my mom took being a mom very seriously. And I think that's the only reason I'm not insane. <laughs> like like she was a professor and she quit when my brother was born and you know, breastfed us and 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 protected us from wall sockets, you know, didn't hit us, even though she was from a very abusive family, you know, and she made those steps that you're talking about. And um, I owe my sanity to it. And, and that's why, like, the message you're giving is so good, because I, I got to benefit from that as a child. Like, my mother was, you know, when she was a kid, her dad was a lead miner. They, they would lock him in, like, sheds. And that wasn't even seen as abuse. That was just what they did. Because yeah. she had me at 39, so the, the generation gap is pretty pronounced. And, and, and her and my dad made the commitment to not hit us and to, um, you know, keep us from harm until they could reason with us. And, and man, my, my life could have went really bad, you know, with public school and being, you know, you talk about, like, the high IQ stuff, like, my IQ was almost 150 in sixth grade and they punished me for it. Mm. And I would pretend to be stupid and I had shame about it. And I could play songs by ear and they thought that I was like trying to show them up. And if I didn't have my mom to 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 guide me and to, and to tell me I was okay, I would have just been, I'd be a criminal. I'd probably be a murderer or something, you know? Well, it's funny because this, uh, and you've, you've talked about this before, but I think it's worth fleshing it out a bit, Owen, this idea that Men, you, you, you can't compete with the state as far as security and, provi- and providing goes. You know, because, uh, you know, if, if you're offering your providing capacity, you're providing muscles to a woman, well, you could get hit by a truck. Uh, you could end up being a drunk. You could leave her, her for another woman. You could, uh, you know, just end up being listless and, and inert and so on. But the state dangling all of these resources, like it's impossible to compete. You know, the state comes along and is like, yeah. hey, man. We'll give you everything you need in perpetuity, and you don't have to do. You don't have to run our households. You don't have to make sandwiches. You don't have to wash the floors. You don't have to do any dishes. You don't have to anything. Just give us a vote once every couple of years. Make your way to the poll, and that's it. And we'll, in return, we'll give you all of this stuff. And men are like, dude, that's so alpha, creepy as hell, and alpha. But you can't possibly compete with that. And I think that's one of the reasons why masculinity is collapsing: is our need to hunt, to protect to provide has been disemboweled yeah. and eviscerated. We are, uh, we are emasculated, castrated by the state and its offerings. And uh, that is making, I think, people very, men, men in particular, very lost. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Faustian almost. It's just this, this de- demonic, like, I'll give you everything you ever wanted. Just, just sign, just sign, just vote for Barack Obama again. You know, and uh, I think men can still be men. It just takes more effort now to... See that as an obstacle. That's another competitor to your to your wife. But here's the thing: they they might have trillions of dollars and a monopoly on on war, but they don't they can't hold her at night. And there's women women have instincts that the state can't win on. They they need this massive amount of propaganda 
because just stuff isn't enough for women. Like women appear to be materialistic, but they, they really aren't. They just need you to bleed. They need to matter. So it's like, because when that baby starts crying, they need to know that you will fight the instinct of running and, and love her and not sleep. So, you know, that um, I do a bit about that with the uh, Canon and D. I don't know if you've seen that with um, this Christmas, give her what she's wanted all year. Cause women are brainwashed by that song. Cause marriage is awesome. That song, I don't know, I'll just, like, just a touch, like, this song. All right, so that, that makes women feel that, that thing. So then the commercials are like, give her what she's wanted all year. And women are like, what have I wanted? And then it's this garbage, like, two hearts welded together by Jane Seymour, who isn't a jeweler and has been divorced five times. And there's no resale value on the $6,000 rock. And you're in a lot of debt from school, but she's worth it. Isn't she? And that's how they get you because the woman's now like, am I worth it? Versus I need the shiny thing. And the, and the state has this demonic mix of, of propaganda to make women think that they're, they're like, what makes them a strong woman is, is Planned Parenthood and, you know, stuff. When in reality, that isn't. So they're, and, and a lot of times they don't know that till after they have abortions. It's really sad. Mm. And, then, um, and then that's what kind of usurps the man. But in the end of the day, it doesn't complete them. And I tell this to dudes on my live stream all the time. I'm like, you don't have to be rich. I loved your point the other day with uh, that guy who regretted the Bitcoin buy, where you're like, there's diminishing returns after a while. You know, you have the same nightmares, just sheets with a higher thread count. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and like all money does is amplify your character and your purpose. And if you don't have purpose, you're lost. You're dead on heroin, you know? And uh, I'm like, women are really attracted to men who just try. Like if you're a janitor, like you clean those floors, you love that woman, you know? And they will, they, they will get out of the trance if you work hard enough. It's just a tough time to be a man. You know, it, it is masculinity, you know, all that stuff. And this this uh, horrible idea that if a woman goes to work in a cubicle under fluorescent lights while her eggs slowly mummify for a giant oh. corporation, somehow she's liberated, she's free, she's self-actualized. But man, if you take care of a whole bunch of kids and a husband, you're a slave. And it's like, I don't think anybody from that corporation is going to come and hold your hand when you're dropping into the dying light of eternity. Uh, and it's just, it's one of these things. And of course, as you point out, and as I pointed out, it's it's for taxes. Uh, it's to make sure that the kids bond with the state at daycare care rather than with, with the parents uh, at home. And the other thing, too, is that because women, you know, they start off so rich with sexual market value, you know, they age like uh, milk and men age like wine. Uh, women start off rich. And so it's very easy when you have all of these men uh, wanting to be with you and take care of you and take you out and date you and maybe marry you. It's very easy at that time to be very... Um, broken by propaganda. And then by the time you figure it out, your eggs are too old, nobody wants to date you anymore. And uh, I think that there's a lot of staving off of that regret, like you've talked about people like Chelsea Handler, Amy Schumer, other people like that, didn't have kids. And uh, it's fine if you, if you know it, you make the conscious decision. But if you're just kind of busy, and then you wake up one day and you regret it, ay, 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 that oh, is a that's nasty a, thing. That's Angela Merkel, like a lot of these women, because it, it, it creates this almost um, uh, weaponized maternity and I think we're seeing that culturally now when it's like they're trying to baby us. Like something really stuck out to me with Amy Schumer, who was a friend of mine who was once very funny. And then when you see like the aid, like when women get to a certain point, they just start getting like nutty if they don't have families. And and uh, she said, why didn't you why didn't you people vote for Hillary Clinton? She would have taken care of us. Mm. And that hit me. I'm like. Who the hell wants the government to take care of us? Like, we're not one. Like, like, you know, it's the difference. It's like Braveheart was like, freedom. But if it was one of these women, it'd be like, safety, you know? <laughs> and, and, and no one wants it. Like, that isn't human nature. Like, we don't want that. And you have these women that are now, like, seeing Donald Trump as this threat, this snake in the garden, you know? And it's all because they didn't have kids. It's this weird – I don't know if people predicted it. I know that the state wanted taxes. They wanted – to break down the family because the family's a competition of these, these social scams. But I don't know if they predicted this weird like ISIS of women now where they these once strong and intelligent and rational women at a certain age just spiral, you know, and they talk to men like we're babies. You know, it's like you're acting out, Owen. I've seen your tweets. You've been acting out. I'm like, I'm a grown man with a home and children. Like, do you think I'm a toddler? Like, get a baby. 
Well, yeah. I mean, so the number of people who say, Steph, you know, you have mommy issues. Well, of course, they just want to associate the word mommy with me so that it diminishes me in people's eyes. And it's very transparent. It's like, yeah, I had a difficult mom. I've gone to therapy. I've dealt with it. I'm a 51-year-old man. I'm a father. I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a good friend to people. And I'm a positive influence in the world. So, you know, this, and it is sad because, you know, if you want a revolution, you know, you're the Braveheart thing. Yeah, you want a revolution run by guys with hairy legs who wear kilts in sub-zero temperatures and eat sheep's intestines. That's what you, those are the yeah. people you want. You don't want people who are offended by tweets, who have to wrap themselves in the bubble wrap of political correctness and who have this hypersensitivity followed by this insane rage. Because this, this, this cry bully stuff, you know, like you're so sensitive. If you can't control your own feelings, you have to end up controlling other people. If you can't control yeah. your own reactions to the world, you end up having to control the world. And this is where the soft, feminized fascism comes in that only seems cuddly at the beginning and turns pretty brutal as time goes by. I think it's scarier than, than, than fat, like male fascism, because that's just Genghis Khan. That's like a meritocracy to a psychotic degree. But at least they're, you know... It, like promoting the weak will always be a, an outrage Ponzi scheme. And I love when you made the point, we're saving the left from the left. It's like, they all eat each other. It's not like anyone gets out of that alive. That's an outrage Ponzi scheme. It's an economic Ponzi scheme, except with emotions where it's like, who's our victim? Who's our baby? Started with gays. Okay. Well, the gays got the rights. Oh no. Now we got to find a new victim. Trans people. What are they? 12 of them in, in the country. It's like, they need that baby mentality so that people um, because it's kind of like what you said about mommy issues. It's like, if someone can't argue your point and you're really good at points, like that's your thing. You're like, you will, you will stress test a point. Like it's wings on a 747. So if someone, if someone can't come at that, I get it all the time. I get called a bigot or a Nazi or a homophobe or all this stuff. And it's like, oh, so you can't argue the point about healthcare. Like, so you're going to call me a bigot like we're talking about market economics you know and so i just think that that's what they do they try to demean us emotionally because if you can't push a policy with with reason or objectivity it has to be the um emotions and, and jordan peterson had that great quote where he said if religion is the opiate of the masses i think this was peterson i know i heard it from him i don't know if it was, he made it up though but he goes uh then socialism is meth <laughs> you know it's meth it's that's like, bad at math yeah, yeah, it's meth math. It's math math. Yeah, where it's like that, like the bubble wrap thing. It's like there's nothing scarier than a weak animal. You know, the wounded deer jumps highest. It's like when you have someone who can't defend themselves, like, like, like a dude, like some of my strongest, toughest friends are the least likely to be aggro in a bar because they don't, they're not scared. They almost look at people, like with me with hecklers. I've done stand up 16 years. I used to be a heckler at a Renaissance fair. People threw tomatoes at my face when I was in high school. It's like if someone heckles me, I look at him like, I don't want to have to destroy you, man. Just relax, you know, because it's I have the ability at any time to just go doot, 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 because it's it, all it is is redirecting them. It's like whatever someone yells, I don't judge them. I judge what they uh, what they have pride in, like a 400 pound man doesn't care if you call him fat, but someone 10 pounds overweight, 20 pounds overweight like me. It's like you call me fat. I spiral. You know, because it's like how I view myself. And that's all like once a heckler heckles, you know, they're weak. You just go like this. And that makes me not aggressive with crowds. It makes me actually very uh, compassionate when someone yells out. I try to like work it out before I do the dismantle. Well, also, I mean, if you're a little overweight and you're tall, it's much more noticeable. You're not husky. You look like an anaconda with a giant dinosaur egg. Like, it's just, it's just, it shows up like a giant, like an absurdist kneecap or something. It shows up that way. And this saving, the, this saving the left from themselves, I think, is really important as well. Because to me, and I'm sort of working on this, I'm working on the love. You know, I've been, been, been listening to a lot of Christians and working with the ideas that I grew up with in Christianity. I've been working the love. And man, it's tough. Because... You know, we got the combat. We want to pick up a, a rusty sword and, and, sw and swipe it till our arms ache uh, intellectually. But I'm really working the love because I've been sort of thinking about if you look at a place like Iran. Well, so Iran, when the Islamists took over, they were aided by the leftists, that the radical leftists and the Islamists both have a common hatred of, of Christianity and, and, and the free market and separation of church and state and so on. And... What happens? What happened in Iran is the the leftists, uh, particularly the trade unionists, they worked with the Islamists, and then the Islamists just jailed and killed them all when they got into power. I mean, if you could talk to Trotsky, right? Trotsky uh, from from the Russian Revolution, who ended up yeah. being gouged to death with an ice pick through his brain yep. in Mexico under the orders of Stalin. If you'd have said to him, "Hey, man." 
I know you think communism is cool. You know, you get the hip glasses, you get the uh, Bioshock hair. You think communism is really cool, but here's how it's going to play out, man. You're going to end up on the run, haunted by the the, the agents of Stalin, and they're going to end up, uh, you know, teaching you, tre- treating you like a failed ice sculpture in Ottawa at the end of your days. I think at some point he would have said, well, you know, if that's how it's going to play out, I'm not sure I want to be in this movie anymore. And right. we all know what happens. Even the people who were communists in 1917, dedicated to the party, half or three quarters of them ended up in show trials and executed and thrown into a shallow grave and, and plowed over with other bodies from the Holodomor in the Ukraine. So... We want to stop them because they don't see over the horizon. They don't see what's coming. They're just trying to get stuff and defend stuff and be emotional in the moment. We who can see over the horizon at the massive pile of bodies that's coming if they get their way, it's like we have to almost lovingly take away this delusion that they have. And like a guy with like who's meth and you take away his meth, he's going to rail and kick at you and hate you. And then a year down the road, he'd be like, hey, man, you saved my life. Thank you. Yeah, and that's the that's why we need masculinity because the 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 maternal instinct would be like whatever makes you feel bad we'll get rid of and there's there's something to that for a two year old mm-hmm. but the man once someone's nine ten eleven years old you have to be like let's take some risks let's skin that knee let's 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 not be safe and I, I just it, and the crazy thing for me is I think by the time the gulags hit. <laughs> They, they're broken. And I think that's one thing about the progressive movement is it's fluid and it's based on power. You know, postmodernism isn't based on believing anything. And that's why I got, I, I don't know if you know about the the thing that happened to me in October where I lost my agent and all that. Cause I said, trans children don't exist. Like giving hormone blockers to kids is, is child abuse. And the, the, the crazy reaction I saw, I realized that they have to not believe in anything to work. You know, when you see when you see, um, you know, uh, what's his name, say that Comey got fired and the crowd claps and then he's like, you shouldn't clap, though. And they're like, oh, boo. Like they, they don't. <laughs> Stephen Colbert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, 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 they can't believe in anything. And, and the thing that happens there, which is really sad, is I think by the time they get marched to the gulag, they're broken. They, they just go like the thing that, that freaks me out is that they don't care about freedom. They're just. Like once you take that knee, once you say there's five lights and not four lights, it's you're not there's almost nothing you're saving in yourself. There's just no self pride. Well, this this is interesting, too, because I think you were talking about three year old children being administered drugs. And of course, the left, if, if you say, well, children should be able to choose the terms of their own education. They'll go insane. Like, oh, no, absolutely not. No way. Homeschooling is indoctrination or unschooling is this. And, you know, we've got to get them into the government schools. And if you say a 12-year-old should be able to walk two blocks to go to a park, you know, they'll be the first to call the cops. The kid's out there unattended. So kids can't make their own decisions. Kids need – and it's like, well, then – how is this? It doesn't make much yeah. sense to me. And uh, this thing, if there's no truth, if there's no reality, if there's no good or bad or right or wrong, this radical relativism, then the end result of that should be uh, that you can't judge anyone. There should be no political correctness if there's no such thing as as truth. You could look at the most horrible racist, but because there's no such thing as truth and there's no such thing as right and wrong, you have no right to judge that person. And it's not what happens. What happens is they don't believe that there's any truth or right or wrong. And that gives them the liberty to act as the most feral, destructive, fascistic style mob that can be imagined. Um, It's the old thing that when you get rid of the big rules like objective morality and self-restraint, you don't end up with no rules. You end up with uh, a tyranny of tiny rules. Yeah, because they still believe in power. Yeah. Like they they may be like postmodernists, but they'll say anything to get power. And it's like sometimes – you know, the the great irony about their their tactics about calling us like racist, bigot, homophobe is the only reason it works is because we're offended by it because we don't want to be that. And so if you're playing football with four downs, like what we're trying to do, where you have goalposts and someone comes in with a machine gun, it's like that just you, you can't you you will just it's the opposite of market economics. It's the opposite of like uh, competition to have the the cheapest, most high quality. It's the opposite. It goes down to the most horrific thing imaginable. It's like Bane, like like the the one guy capable of doing the craziest thing will become king. <laughs> and yeah, like Stalin. Like it starts, you know, Lenin's a, a bad dude, but I don't. He wasn't Stalin yet. Marx is just this thinker, this egghead, you know. But he wouldn't have pulled a trigger, and then Lenin would pull a trigger, but he wouldn't, you know, starve the Ukraine, and then Stalin will start, you know. It just keeps going down. It's it's just this race to the bottom. And 
I, I just don't know how you can live like that if you love your family. And for me, I got uh, more into this stuff when I had a kid, mm. you know, when I'm like, I don't know what I deserve, but he deserves a good life. And that's what made me more like protective of him versus my life. I didn't have as much pride in it. You know, I was like, fine, but like, I, I don't know what I deserve, but I, I've known him since birth and he deserves a world with rules and meritocracy and, and to fight for a family and love and, you know, a good career. Like I, I just, I, I can't let it slip. And people just don't see that free speech is the first, it's just a domino. And oh, yeah, the that's easiest it. time to fight it is right now with words. That's why I'll be like extra provocative on Twitter. Cause I like to fight in the open field. Like I want to see people come at me and hurt me. Cause it's like, cause then everyone else gets to see that they can't talk. And I have 100,000 Twitter followers. I'm verified, all that stuff. They'll still put me in the Twitter gulag. It's, they don't see people. They see power. Yeah, right about that. And the racism thing, too. I mean, I've been called a racist, although I was very interested in the presidency of Donald Trump because I knew that it was going to be in particular great for blacks and Hispanics. And lo and behold, Trump gets into the presidency and the black unemployment rate is the very lowest it's been uh, in American history, at least since the records have been kept. And what does that mean? That means that black men have jobs, Hispanic men have jobs, and in particular, the black family, which has been eviscerated, as you know, by by the welfare state and, and to some yeah. degree by affirmative action. This means that black men now have jobs, and that means that there's going to be more cohesion and unity in the black family, which sets the stage for the next generation to grow up with fathers around, which controls some of the escalations of violence and and all of that. And men, black men have something to live for uh, in terms of having a family to provide for, which means they restrain, as we all do, our worser impulses when we become fathers. So it's just funny. Oh, he's such a racist. And it's like, well, I'm not a very good racist if I have particularly advocated for things that have ended up benefiting minorities enormously, which, of course, I knew was going to happen. Yeah, it's it's the least racist thing you can do is have the balls to say something that gets you attacked yeah. because you know that 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 the, the, the lazy river towards, you know, a, a, a giant state, they're going to go after the most vulnerable people, which, and then they'll eat them. And then now they're going after the, uh, uh, working class whites, like they did the blacks, like the state is, is psychotic beyond racism. They just see money, you know? And so they'll just dismantle any way they can. Now, but when did you, when did you first start to think along these lines, Owen, because, you know, you, you may not have noticed this, but you're in somewhat of a leftist environment in the nightclubs. Didn't used to be the case, but certainly it's more the case now. When did this first, I mean, this is not something obviously you get out of government schools, but when did you first begin to uh, take this path? I think it was, it was, if you look back at my comedy, it was never leftist. It was always just funny. And I think once the merit got taken out and I would do a lot of male, female stuff, communication stuff, relationship stuff. And once I started being called a sexist for saying men and women are different, that's when I really, because I felt threatened. I was like, oh, I got to start looking into these people because I never really saw the 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 uh, the threat the state created. You know, in my lifetime, I've watched the the our deficit, our debt, just you know, exponential growth. So watching that happen, watching how the government now overreached into my world of of free speech and saying that I'm sexist for saying something that everyone knows is true that women love the joke, like the, the soap opera music guys in a woman's head. Like I did that in, comedy, in a Comedy Central Hour special in 2014. You know, Pat Oswald would retweet it. And then two years later, Pat Oswald will unfollow me for something more benign. And I'm like, oh, so you guys are all crazy. You know, and some of my, like my uh, stance on abortion has shifted and my stance on welfare has shifted. But that was just a lack of knowledge. Like I'd never been around a pregnant woman. I didn't know like just the, value in the, un, like, cause you get brainwashed. Like I still have brainwashing in my head from government schools and all that stuff that I fight with. But like, when you see someone you love, like they, you know, they start it by seven weeks, they're vomiting and it's growing. And, and, and the, the Democrats want to abort it up to nine months. And at that point it just breaks. And I'm like, oh, you guys are promoting a culture of death, you know? And then with the welfare state, I'm like, I thought it was kindness. You mm. know, there was a moment I liked Bernie Sanders, you know, and that is horrifying to say out loud, but you know, you gotta, you gotta own your, your problems. And because I want, I thought that was kindness because I hadn't read Thomas Sowell or all this stuff. It's like, once I felt threatened, then I, I got very educated on my own. And that's when you become a threat to these people because it's, you know, government schools is Nina Pena, Santa Maria, sit in the corner, you know? And, and, and then you start really reading about the difference between like culture and race and 
all this stuff. And, and it's just, it's intense, but I, and, and my, uh, fan base has grown uh, exponentially since I started talking about stuff that I think matters more in people's lives. You know, I was part of the, the Hollywood, uh, culture where I would get, you know, a big chunk of money for a script that would never get made. And I was just on this lazy river of just hedonistic treadmill and it's not evil, but you become a donkey, you know, it's right out of Pinocchio. And so I'm so lucky I fell in love with my wife and have a child because that was the thing that that's the thing that gets you out of it. Mm. And and no matter how much the state tries to be daddy, like th- there's moments in love and life and music and, and stuff like that where they can't compete with that. And that's why they're desperately trying to associate, you know, abortion with female empowerment and and men with toxicity and all that stuff, because a heroic action by a man will snap you out of that 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 funk if you're a woman and, and vice versa when you love a woman you no longer crave the anonymous like uh just sad existence of just going from woman to woman it's just i can't imagine that now no and and the the, the conflict as you pointed out between the state and parents is very important like we have a society where parents can't choose how their children are educated but they can choose Ugh. which chemicals to inject regarding gender uh, and that just makes uh, no sense to me in in any way, shape, or form. And I do think, though, that this question of what is funny these days, I think there's so many people now who are kind of addicted to the unreality of propaganda that I think... I've always sort of thought as comedians as sort of like advanced scouts for troops, for, for the truth. You know, like uh, comedians have to go out there and test the boundaries of what is acceptable and what can be talked about. They're, they're there for pushing the Overton window in many yeah. ways. And now it seems like it's kind of they're working the opposite way. They're trying to keep reality at bay for crazy people. Like that's what I had this whole thing about the late night comedians. They're, they're trying to keep any kind of objectivity, any kind of facts, any kind of reality at bay for people who are delusional. And in this sense, now they're serving a psychosis rather than an honorable message of um, disarming people through laughter so they can accept an unpalatable truth. Yeah, comedians exaggerate to clarify, you know, and I do a thing on stage talking about free speech, about how I go big and then, oh, oh, I thought Colin Kaepernick was Puerto Rican. Thanks for the intel. And then you just keep going until you it's like you're just getting rid of dead wood. And, and, and what's happening now, and, but the beauty is, though, is the fact that I'm just not doing that. It's like Shostakovich in the USSR. It's like people are like, what? Because you just stand out. Because, like, if, if they're all going to do this nonsense and comedy threatens authoritarians because you can't fake it. You know, that's why a way to tell if someone's a propagandist to see is the crowd laughing or clapping. And a lot of these guys, they're just clapping. Like Stephen Colbert will be like, Donald Trump is full-blown Hitler. And they're like... They're not laughing because it's not true. Like Dave Chappelle was always one of my favorite comedians. Mm. And this last special was like, I really got sad because it was like he was contradicting himself in the special. He's talking about, you know, how dumb these white people are for voting for Trump because they're not he's not going to have their back. And he's like, and they're covered in coal dust and they don't have jobs. And then 10 minutes later, he's like, Trump is crazy. He's talking about bringing jobs back. And what the hell is coal? So he contradicts himself in 10 minutes. And I'm like. Oh, man, because I love comedy even when it disagrees with me. But as long as it's coming from a point of view that they believe is true is everything. I think people pay comedians just to hear the sound of someone who believes what they're saying. And once people lose that, it's game over. You know, yeah, I don't I don't think Trump read Mein Kampf because declaring Jerusalem the capital of Israel does not put <laughs> you in the right camp for being a good a good Hitler. And this, here's the funny thing too. I mean, I'm a little older than you, Owen. And when I grew up, maybe this was the case when you were young as well, the left was really creative, like really funky, like really cool. I mean, a lot of the music from the 60s and the 70s came out of people from the left. You had a fantastic anti-war movement. There were great plays, great movies, important uh, racial stuff. Like I remember Sidney Poitier uh, in movies when I was a kid and so on. Like they really were pushing the boundaries of acceptable discourse and they were really creative and funky and fertile. And, and and just exciting, whereas I didn't really get that stuff from the right. The right was like Barry Goldwater droning on about foreign policy, which was important, yeah. but just not very funky. And now right. what's interesting is when you look at this big reality that the left can't meme to save their lives, and the left has become this echo chamber of mainstream propaganda, and you have comedians out there attacking Trump and defending basically giant corporate interests. Like, And then they think themselves are edgy. And of course, I know comedians love to think that they're edgy, but they're about as edgy as a Pillsbury doughboy. And I just think that this switch 
from the creativity and fertility of the left and the relative stagnation of the right to now, where at least non-leftists tend to be a lot more original. I don't know what's coming next in your comedy routine. Every time I watch late, late, late comedians, it's a checklist of like five things, you know, oh, Trump is bad, oh, whites are bad, oh, you know, oh, like the racism and oh, there's sexism. Like it's, it, you know exactly what the take is going to be, even down to the kind of joke they're going to make. And that to me is astounding because smart people want new stuff, whereas less smart people want repetition and crazy people in particular want repetition. It's like the OCD of confirmation bias. And this, so if you want creativity, you can't go to the left anymore. They just don't have it. Well, yeah. And I think you can always tell which side is going to be more innovative and more creative when you, like I'm on the right because I know, and the way I know that is because I don't agree with everything of the left. So if you're not in step, you're on the right. So that's how you know that they're the bad guys. It's like, I used to do a joke and then I realized it was actually on a BBC thing. Someone sent it to me. I wrote it independently though. I never saw it, but where it's uh, two Nazis are, are standing next to each other and they have skulls on their lapels. And one's like, hey, we got skulls on our lapels. You think we might be the bad guys? You know, <laughs> where it's like when you, uh, when you need everyone to conform to everything you think, you're, the, you're not creative. And so the, the right is... Um, anarcho-capitalists, libertarians, conservatives, Republicans, like it's, it's a, it's a lot of different thoughts. And I think that's what makes it like, like, I'm just done with leftism. It's like, okay, you guys are nuts. Let the adults work our way around this because that's, what's exciting now. It's like, I just did Michael Malice's show, a buddy of mine. And I did Dave Smith and, you know, and I, Steven Crowder, these are all my friends. And like, they're all different types of right, but like, it's fun because we're all trying to find out what our truth is versus like, if you say that Lena Dunham isn't Jesus, you die. Like well, it's just, people, people watch us because they don't know what's coming next, whereas people watch the left because they know exactly what's coming next. And I think that's, yeah. a big, uh, that's a big division. Now, what, what has happened for you? I haven't seen you talk about this, though maybe you have. What's happened to you, Owen, regarding the sort of Me Too movement? Because, you know, some of this kind of stuff in, in comedy uh, can be pretty rough as far as gender relations and sexism and, and you know, the grabbiness and... Uh, what the guy who was like exposing himself to, to comics and so on. Have you seen any of that? Uh, what has been your reaction to some of this? I think very necessary lifting the lid off a particular corner of, of sexual hell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's a, it's definitely a dangerous place for women in that world because um, when you're dealing with power and not ethics, what I see happening and a lot of these, these, these scumbag guys, it's when someone gets a lot of money and power, but women still don't want them. They just start, <laughs> You know, like, like, like imagine being Harvey Weinstein, like imagine that hell where you're, you're king, but women still look at you like, a, like your job of the hut. And it's like, and when you don't respect anything, you just start taking it. And, and when your dick needs to be propped up by a movie role, that's a small dick. I'm just telling you oh, that. Imagine the hatred for women these men develop because right. like women never liked them because they're not good guys. And they don't, it's like what we we're talking about earlier. It's like, they're not trying hard. So they're going to attract these these awful women that just want power and money. And so they end up hating them for that. So they're never around good women. So then they start developing this like real misogyny and uh, not the misogyny. Like people will call us sexist when it's really just pointing out that like men and women are different versus these guys just hate women. And and they're the ones that are supposed to be like the, the pussy hat. Like, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about these guys because I'm like, male feminism is not marching around hoping they can wear down a couple girls with bad dads. <laughs> you know, male feminism is lying next to a screaming baby and not leaving and not disrespecting your wife. You know, like male feminism is like pointing out the, the, the snakes in the, in the garden. Like we're protective. And the worst part for me isn't that there are bad guys out there. It's all the people that didn't say anything where you're like. I think that's one reason why they have such a problem with me now is I'll be like, hey, Jesse Thorne, the NPR guy, he says his kid's trans. How crazy is that? And everyone's like, you don't say names. You just say there's a problematic culture. You don't ever say names. And I'm like, no, it's that guy right there. He says his kid's trans. He's going he's gonna to sterilize him. And they're like, we can't be around you, Owen. You're bad. And I'm like, well, it's weird because women have always been attracted to me my whole life. I think it's because I'm a good dude. And you guys are never going to be able to buy seven. your way. And handsome oh, yeah. and funny and musical. <laughs> hey, 
Yeah, thanks, man. Wow. And um, this and this this question of female responsibility is something that I I wandered into. You know, like uh, it's not courage; it's just being a, a dumbass, basically. Because I just wandered into like, uh, well, yeah, we should. You know, I was taught that women are equal to men, and I believe all of that. It's sort of like it's not superiority or inferiority. It's like if you have a jigsaw puzzle piece, the the pieces are shaped differently, but you need all of them to make the picture. It's not one superior yeah. to the other; they're just different. And right. uh, I kind of wandered into this thing where. Ah, single moms, right? So I've talked about single moms. So I just kind of wandered in because I stupidly, and in hindsight, it really was entirely dumb, but I just, okay, I listened to the propaganda. So women say they want to be equal to men. Okay, good. You get freedom, you get independence, you get the capacity to enter into your own contracts. A-okay. I'm a father to a daughter. I want all of this kind of equality. You also get that lovely little thing called responsibility. We're not going to demand that you have the draft, which of course are the states if you still have to register for. So we're not going to say, well, you get the vote without having to get the draft. Okay, we'll go. We'll give you a freebie on that one because, hey, it's just war. What does that matter? But you want equality. You want independence. You want liberty. Great. Then you also get responsibility. So then when I say, well, uh, single moms have something to do with their own status, right? They have something to do with their own status. They made a bad choice. They stayed with a bad man that, you know, often they would they would meet and date and, and then have sex with a bad man. And then he, and so they have some responsibility in the matter. And then it was like, I just walked into this giant cheese shredder uh, that only seems to accept testicles because people just went completely insane. And it's like, but I, to me, real feminism is saying to women, you are full and complete human beings. You have equal liberties and equal responsibilities to men. And if men make bad decisions, guess what? You got to live with it. If you decide as a kid, you're going to pick on the guy who's, uh, you know, got 50 pounds on you because you want to be the tough guy. You kind of have to live with that <laughs> bad decision out back of the school. Yeah. And this, you know, if, if you think you can win a particular race and you, you, you train and then you lose, well, you got to live with the bad feelings and all that. So, Men, you know, we always have to live with the bad consequences of our decisions. And to me, equality was saying that to women as well. But then there's this, duh, 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 this white knight, oh, duh, 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 they come riding in. We must circle the eggs. We must circle the women and we must protect them from consequences of bad decisions. It's like you realize that that is entirely sexist, right? You're having completely oh, different standards. Well, the irony is so deep. I can't even write jokes about it. It's, <laughs> it's like it's so ironic that it's not even funny. It's yeah. like. The bigotry of low expectations, it's like, listen, these people are retarded. So we got to treat them like, you know, it's just crazy. It's 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 the same with. Uh, oh, and I use that word properly. I do a whole bit about that. It means underdeveloped. It, you know, I, I like how moron technically means IQ 50 to 69 and idiot is zero to 25. And anyway, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but like women aren't the same as men. I, I like equality of opportunity, not outcome. I think that equality outcome is ex everything that's wrong with it. It's like. My brother's a tree guy, right? So I do tree work, like my hands are messed up. We do tree work together, you know? And there's no women. And none of them are doing the James Damore clamor. It's never like, where's the equality of, of women in Arbor? Like, you know, cause the debt, like it's so dangerous and it doesn't pay anything. And so, but they just want, I, I, I don't get it. It, it. And it's not even always the women. It's the, it's the white knight guys. It's the, it's the state, it's the propaganda machine. Cause like, when you're honest with a woman, a lot of times their eyes light up and they're like, thank you. <laughs> like, I'm so sick of being lied to. You know, it's the same with like the black population. Like the bigotry low expectations, like a lot of people on the left I know in LA where I was talking about how, um, you know, Planned Parenthood will kill one in two, you know, black um, conceptions. And, and, and basically they're like, yeah, we got to protect them though. I mean, they're animals. They just breed, you know? And I'm like... <laughs> Do you not hear yourself? Like, you sound so much more bigoted than anyone on the right I've ever talked to well, ever. Well, this is the people on the left. Well, you can't possibly expect any blacks to have any kind of identification. And therefore, like, voting ID laws, it's like, what? 100%. They, yeah. they can't fill out a form? And, and what do you, but okay. But if you believe that, then why are you saying, oh my, I, I don't know. That That's is just so horrendous. That's paranoid about white supremacy. It's kind of like the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest homophobes are always closet gay guys, you know? <laughs> Where it's like, why is that guy playing piano? He probably wants to blow me. You know, it's just these jumps. It's the same with these guys, like calling everybody white supremacist. It, it's the, it's it's like, are you a white? Are, do you think we're special? You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, they're projecting what they believe on us all the time. And it's like, like you'll see benign statements and everyone's like, oh, you're white supremacist. And I'm like, I think you're projecting, buddy. Well, the thing is, too, white is not an ideology. It's just a biological category. But And there are actually ideologies out there in the world that say, we are the best and everyone else should serve us. 
But those yeah. ideologies aren't called out as supremacist, even though it's explicit, whereas being right is just a biological category. I don't know. I mean, this could go I, on. I call them out. I just did a video called It's Time to uh, to Submit to Tolerance. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's, right. Uh, yeah, it's like – I. And and I make a huge distinction between Muslim individuals and Islam itself, like Islamism, sure. like as a political force, and um, and and I just find that to be a given. That's why it's it's kind of hard sometimes talking to idiots. And I and I like the you you recently said that um, my tribe is smart people, and I think once I realized that, life became a lot more enjoyable. Where I'm like, if like I was raised Catholic, if someone does a pedophile priest joke, I would laugh my ass off. It's like. Because I'm intelligent enough to separate a funny thing from just – to me, that's such basic intelligence that if I'm making fun of burkas, it doesn't mean I'm attacking your chiropractor. You know? <laughs> it's just like and, – and, and I it's tough because I feel responsibility to not push things that aren't true, but I also can't lie. And I, it would bog down the joke to explain Islam as a political force and <laughs> how some Muslims are secular and – I just can't do it. So I just, you know, do the joke and then hopefully people understand that. Well, that the asterisk kills comedy, right? Because the asterisk that's stands for cool. snowflake. And asterisks, if, cool. if you've got to do the footnote, I'm sorry, your whole momentum is done uh, as a that's comedian. so true. Now, yeah, what, about, so what about fatherhood? Because I think this is an important thing. I changed a lot after I became uh, a father, of course, right? And and I was thinking about the, the abortion thing too. Like uh, I'm sure you did too. You, you go to the, the doctor and they, they do the ultrasound and, and you can hear, right? You know, wanga, 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 this little heartbeat. Yeah. It looks like a little tiny Pac-Man that never gets anywhere. And, you know, you see this incredible cone of a life, you know, starting from a dot and growing into something that makes my daughter's hilarious, just makes the funniest jokes. And none of those jokes would exist if someone had gone and scooped her out with a DNC. None of those drawings, she was wonderful at drawing dragons, none of those drawings would exist. None of the songs that she writes would exist. None of the stuff that she creates in the world, none of the glow in my heart when I'm with her, none of that would exist. And this question of, of being a father, it, it has to lengthen your window of how you look at the world. Because when oh, it comes yeah. to national debt, you know, okay, well, we may die before the national debt comes due, but our kids won't. And so it, it changes your whole window. You get a culture of life versus death, you know, and it's like, or, or for me, it wasn't a culture of death. It was just a culture of whatever, you know, but once my kid was, you know, once we conceived and once I met my child, it changed. I tell, I tell that to people. I'm like, be part of a culture of life. Like there's nothing more valuable than that, than, than life. Like what, what else is there? Gold? Like what Bitcoin? Like two great things, but it's like a beating heart and that smile that, 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 the future. And that's what made me feel guilt about debt. And that's what made me feel like if I didn't speak out about free speech now and my son can't make a joke in 20 years, I couldn't look him in the eye because I didn't do my best trying to use my place in the world to, to spread stuff. And it, it great personal loss, apparently, but then not like I thought I was done. You know, I all my college gigs just cancel, 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 cancel. You know, I was a pariah briefly. And then my career reemerged, and I'm I'm so much happier. You just you're I, I switching to, boats, you know. You switch boats, you stand on the pier for a while. That's all. You're just switching boats. Totally, and it's like I have just better conversations now because the thing about leftism now versus comedy in 2010, LA was so different. Like when you watch Tosh and Galifianakis and all those guys on stage, it was fun. It was rock star stuff. It was punk. You know, it was like Galifianakis would say stuff that you wouldn't believe. And then it became like I watched the totalitarianism emerge and, you know, it took a while for me to um, really see it. But having a kid and also the Beyonce thing that happened to me, th those things really woke me up. Like when she did the black power thing and I basically just pointed out how um, identity politics will inevitably lead to like real white <laughs> pride. And I don't know if they want to open those doors. You know, I was like, imagine if Kid Rock just wore a KKK hat, you know, and I was on the cover of Yahoo as a racist and I didn't even think it was a great joke. I thought it was an obvious observation that if you're going to do a – because that's a secular event. The Super Bowl isn't hers. It's all of ours. And if you're going to do this, like that's associated with some seriously negative stuff. Well, and, when and, she does that, of course, everybody wants to talk about white white nationalists and, and white supremacists because you can't ever <laughs> – Call right. a thing a thing. I think also I do have the feeling that that Owen, it's a lot easier to be offensive if nobody can fucking spell your name, because then they get really offended, but they just don't know how. Galifianakis, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, I really hate that. What the fuck is this? Anyways, <laughs> I know, but PC wasn't like it is now. It was like I, I've seen him, like he does it. Like he said, like all these guys. He used to be so fun. 
You know, I used to, I sang a song about how I wanted Jimmy Fallon to get AIDS. It's hilarious. I, I'm painted on the wall at the Hollywood Improv. Like, I've always been this way. Now, if I went out to LA now, oh man, with my normal natural personality of like my mom who, you know, raised me to be skeptical and my dad, you know, uh, raising me to see rhetoric and persuasion and stuff. It's like, I would be, I wouldn't get anywhere except for the people that always helped me were always very rational people like Adam Sandler, Vince Vaughn, you know, like those guys are great, but in general, that monolith is just garbage. But that connection, I think that connection that you have with your mom, which is, sounds like a beautiful thing and, and is wonderful to yeah. hear about. I think that connection gives you a kind of superpower. Like for people who don't, like they were raised in daycare, they were raised by ferocious peers, it was all Lord of the Flies shit. I think those people who don't have objectivity, they don't have philosophy, they don't have a bond that they can be absolutely certain of regarding uh, a parent and they have a kind of fragility and they don't have kids. So they have a kind of fragility that I used to view as more dangerous. And it, it is still dangerous. You're right about the cornered animal thing. But I yeah. am sort of growing into, I think I feel like it's a very, very sad situation to be that nervous, to be that afraid, to be that self-censorious. You know, like if you're if you're constantly biting your tongue and, and, and battening down all the hatches on your natural spontaneity, it is like the the sort of parody of of the of the Catholic, like I'm I'm full of Satan. I must grit my teeth and restrain every impulse that I have. I mean this this dictatorship of the self, which leftism, you know, for all of its contempt for Christianity, has recreated. I think some of the worst self censorious aspects of religion. And I feel what a torturous world to live in, in your own mind. Like you wake up in the morning, you know, it's like that guy, uh, the IT guy that uh, Project Veritas revealed at the New York Times, where he's like, yeah, it's a beautiful day. You say to these guys, it's a beautiful day. They're like, yeah, it is a beautiful day, but fuck Donald Trump. You know, like <laughs> you, you, you can't enjoy anything. You can't, like there's no. this, that, 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 that grim Puritan joylessness. That was not part of the left originally. The left may have gone a bit too hedonistic. They had some fun. But now yeah. there's this rampant, ascetic joylessness and, and crushing of joy. They've become these like psychotic Puritans that, oh, human happiness. Well, slavery, racism, colonialism, whitishness. Oh, can't have any fun. Yeah. Can't have any fun. I mean, God, they've just become everything that they despised. Yeah, if they weren't threats to me, I'd view them as victims. Mm. You know, and, it's, and all their anti-white stuff, like I could take it with a grain of salt. But when I have, I see my son, this beautiful, wonderful little white kid dancing in a the kitchen. They're not going to talk that way about white people because he's white and you're not going to set up a world that way. And and I, I, I think to your point, it's almost like police, like when you have a very well-trained cop, it's night and day from a cop that isn't well-trained where everything's a snake. You know, their they're, they're pulse is up. They're, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote that book Blink about it where they see threats where they, they there are no threats, and it's. I think this is a generation of indoor cats, where when you're not <laughs> when you're not allowed to like go outside and hunt and make mistakes and fall, you know, it's like get inside, Timmy. There's autism in the grass, <laughs> and then you can't you can't like. I do a bit about that about how I'd come home missing a tooth like at eight, you know, and and my mom would be like, "What happened?" I'm like, "I kicked a kid and he punched me," and she's like. Don't kick kids. Don't do that. Yeah, that's right. It's like, I think I got molested. She's like, what happened? I'm like, he said he had candy in his sweatpants, but it was his wiener and I ran home. She's like, you can brush that one off, but don't go down that road. And candy, you know, risk reward on that. It's pretty cheap. You know, like just the just the darkest fears that came out of the the, the milk carton generation where they, they found one kid from all of that. One. And it was like a, a, a family member had kidnapped the kid. But it's just every morning, just a picture of a kidnapped kid. Fear, well, you know, fear, this... Fear. This, this, I mean, kids are safer in many ways now, although neighborhoods have been somewhat undermined by multiculturalism and there is that issue. Uh, but uh, kids are safer in general now than they ever oh, have been before, safer. except, of course, again, back in the home of single moms where kids are 35 times more likely to be abused. That blew my like, mind when you told me that. Yeah, That's so if you're so concerned about kids, let's reunite the family. If you're so concerned about the safety of women, let's reunite the family. Where are women and children the safest, absolutely not even in a close second. They are safest in a pair-bonded marital household with a stable provider. That is where women are the safest, and that is where children are the safest. Man, you want to see abuse, violence, and, and uh, horrifying stuff? You go look at lesbian relationships. Those, those are off the charts when it comes to abuse. So if you want, if you're concerned about security and safety for women uh, and, and children, you better be rebuilding that family unit. Otherwise, it's just, I don't even know what to say. 
Yeah, you can watch it with David Attenborough when it, with, with like a new bear comes in. It's like, yeah, we have a black bear. It's like he kills the Foma children. You know, it's like <laughs> this this weird biological imperative that that like when you when a new man comes in and other kids. I mean, I'm sure most of the time they're okay, but in yeah. general, there's an instinct to be like, it's like, mommy, mommy, why why is that why is that new male lion playing so roughly with the cubs? <laughs> yeah, why is he trying to destroy our genetic uh, thing that he has to pay for that isn't him? You know, and it's uh, you're right, like a like a, a caring father invested in his family, because that's the number one predictor of success isn't race or money or whatever. It's are your parents married? Yeah. And and that's why it's like, even though we would have made more money by not getting married, we still got married out of the principle of it. Because, you know, the welfare state's pushing you, you know, we could have been not married and she could register as a single mom, but it felt wrong. It yeah. felt like. You know, and it's there's a lot of things we're sacrificing money over. You know, it's like there's something to saying like my wife, my husband, my family, even if they're trying to entice us with these little trinkets. Oh, it's funny, you know, this question of money. And everyone, of course, has this fantasy and this drive and this desire. If I get money, things are going to be great. But, you know, there's a reason that they use the same word for a demon inhabiting your body and stuff that you own. Like possession is is the same word for, for both things. I have no problem with people having stuff. Of course, it's fine. We need stuff to live. But I remember this is back when I was broke as a student. I was living, I had a roommate. And I was living in, it was a pretty nice little condo. I had a little tiny room there. And in the bottom of the condo was this big pool and a big gym. And, and I used to go exercise and swim and all of that. I remember once just sitting in there and thinking like, man, I'm broke. Be nice to have a house with this pool and this gym, like all this money and, and oh, this yeah. would be fantastic. And I just remember sitting there, it's like, but I'm alone. And oh. if I had all of this stuff, I had all this, you know, all, I had this, this house with this pool and this gym. I'm working out alone. I'm swimming alone. I'm eating alone. I'm watching TV alone. And maybe people will come over, but they'll come over for the pool. They won't come yeah. over for me. I, and I'll never know if they're coming over for me or for the giant theater. And I just remember thinking like, okay, yeah, I got nothing against money. That's fine. But man, it's not going to do anything to make me less alone. And that is, of course, the problem with the women without kids. Why do they want the state so much? Because who's going to take care of them when they get older? Who is going to be with them when they get older? Who's going to give them resources when they go old and forgetful? Who's going to come by and visit? Well, uh, if you don't have kids, you miss out on that whole tribe, that whole unity, that whole support system. The welfare state of biology is what we're designed for. Everything else becomes increasingly predatory. Yeah, like who knows you? That's like another thing. It's like, <laughs> who shared your story? Yeah. Like me and my wife talk sometimes, like we we grew up together. That's how we, we've known each other for almost seven years. But in that seven years, we went, I went from this, like, I was always a good dude. I was never one of these Hollywood scumbags, but I would just party and drink. And I was all about getting lights on me and getting painted on the wall. And then I'd pass out and I had a dog. And, <laughs> but then like you, you, you grow up like now I just, I, I work and I, I just love it. I just, I can't imagine that the hell that that would be to not have human beings in your life and have it be replaced by stuff. And, yeah. And also, or, or human beings passing by, you know, like, uh, Hey, had sex with someone else who has to leave in the morning and doesn't want to know who I, who the hell I am. That is. Well, uh, Adam, yeah, dude, Adam Sandler. Like that's one thing that drew him to me was, uh, I did a joke when I was 24. Like I even saw some of this back in the day. I just don't, you know, I guess I hadn't met Amy yet. That's a romantic version of it, or my biology wasn't ready. But um, I used to do a joke where I'm like, yeah, I'll have a one-night stand. And, and the next morning, someone will be like, what do you want to do for breakfast? And I'm like, what do you want to do for Christmas? You know, like, <laughs> I'm like, attaching. I was almost, yeah, I was almost lusting family because I, I always had a loving family. And then out in L.A., I was so alone that, like, I, I wasn't like one of those creepy songs we were talking about earlier. But I was always like like some of my favorite parts and and it's it's one of those things you can't really complain about to men because they just look at you with envy and anger and they don't internalize it's kind of like when a billionaire complains about why they want to kill themselves because they have no more purpose like people look at him like you go to hell it's the same with this stuff it's like i could be lusted by these women and and get not only nothing from it but it was almost a negative because i'm like i get to see what i could have with a family and just groundhog's day over and over and over again and 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 then you start thinking like, is this just me? Like, am I even lovable? Like, I know women want me, but do do they love me? And that, it, it's it's really not like people have to really think about what other people's existences are like. And, and I just think that if people did some more time self reflecting, that that they could be a lot happier. Like, well, I think it. for for any decent man, you know, there's this uh, um, 
comparison of the, of the penis or the cock to a sword. You know, you're a swordsman and so on. It's like you, in and out it goes and off off you go on your merry way. But I think for any kind of half-decent man, your cock is actually just a tentacle. It attaches, it sticks, it wraps around, and it wants to stay. All right. Well, listen, I wanna, I'm going to leave on that wonderful, <laughs> inspiring <laughs> note. I really appreciate tentacle, your time. Tentacle wiener. Yeah, we wanted to uh, – I wanted to mention that um, – uh, Owen and I are both going to be at uh, the Cernovich event tonight for Freedom. This is Saturday, January the 20th. Yeah, you were right. Uh, 2018 in New York. And uh, we've got frequent Freedom Man guests, of course, Mike Cernovich, Gavin McInnes, Michael Malice, who is entirely too happy for a man with that name. Uh, a lot of people, you can get your tickets now at a anightforfreedom.com. That's a anightforfreedom.com. And if you want to check out Owen, listen, I mean, it's very generous of you, of course, to put so much comedy on um, – uh, online, uh, check it out. It, the, the dude is brilliant and and hilarious, and you know m- m- gets every conceivable comedy drop out of that uh, skyrocketing IQ. Upcoming comedy dates. Let's date this entire show. Burlington uh, in Vermont, January twenty fifth to twenty seventh. Saranac Lake, New York, February twenty fourth. Houston, Texas, March eighth to eleventh. Brooklyn, New York, March fifteenth. Cleveland, Ohio. March 22nd in Chicago, Illinois, March 23rd to catch uh, his live show uh, is, is well worth it. So I really, really wanted to thank you so much for your time. It was a great pleasure to chat. Oh, thank you, man. That was a blast.